0: Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT, as well as watching on internet streaming video and audio on Facebook.com backslash WakeUpCallDT, Facebook.com backslash LiveNowDT, and on YouTube.com backslash WakeUpCallDT, all inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, and as you know in our commissioner connection, speaking with leaders around the nation, I'm very, very happy for the first time ever to have Noreen Morris on on the show of the Northeast Conference, AKA the NEC. And I look forward to telling her story today and getting her thoughts on a lot of pertinent topics that are affecting collegiate athletics. So let's bring in Noreen and see how she's doing this morning. Noreen, how are
1: you? I'm doing great, thanks. Dan, thank you uh, for having me on your show.
0: Absolutely, and and Noreen, um, you and I uh, kind of look back on your history, and when we look at the Northeast Conference, you're only the fourth full-time commissioner of the conference. Uh, what does that mean to you on such a short list of, of leadership within this conference? Kind of part one, uh, what that means to you, and part two, why coming to the NEC was the right fit for you?
1: Yeah, I'm honored to have been with the NEC now. I'm in my 11th year, and as you mentioned, they've had uh, just three commissioners before me. Um, actually, the, the woman who held the job right before me, I worked for at Conference USA for a number of years, and got to know her, and and she, I know how much she enjoyed working with this league. Uh, she unfortunately passed away, um, and and I, you know, is honored to to you know follow in her footsteps. But this is a great league. Um, the, the people that work in our league, the athletic directors, presidents, senior women administrators, every, everyone from top down is. It's tremendous and um i've enjoyed every minute of it even through covid as much as if that's possible um so you know the fact that they've they've kept their um you know trust and faith in me over the last 11 years uh, it's it's just been a tremendous ride so far and um really really enjoy and mostly because of the people and and the mission right that we're We are division one athletics, um, but we're smaller institutions. Um, You know, our student athletes generally are not going pro. You know, might be overseas, they might be doing some some semi-pro, but it really is about the development of the student athlete and the ability to provide them with um, lifelong memories from athletics as part of their educational experience. So it's a perfect fit for me, given my background and, and my history.
0: And when we look at this conference and the members that make up the NEC, uh, the full-time members, Bryant, Central Connecticut, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, uh, Long Island University, Merrimack, Mount St. Mary's, Sacred Heart, St. Francis, Brooklyn, St. Francis U, and Wagner, as well as your associate members of Duquesne for football and women's bowling, uh, Fairfield for field hockey, Hobart for men's lacrosse, Ryder for field hockey, and St. Joseph's of men's lacrosse. When I name off these members and associate members, and you put that all together into one pot, how would you define the group? group of schools that you have?
1: You know, I would define them as committed, coll- collaborative, and dedicated to the mission of college athletics. Um, and I, I'll also add that we have Howard joining us this year with yep. uh, six sports as associate members. Um, they had those six sports in different six different conferences, and they reached out to us for more specifically women's soccer, and the more we got talking, we thought it would be a great relationship for us to give them one home for those six sports. So that that's the kind of the collaborative um, focus of the NEC. you know we saw an opportunity to to bring um, Howard into the mix and and to give those student athletes a home. So it, it very consensus building um, and uh, working together. I would say that was that's the biggest theme for our league.
0: And you, you speak about bringing in Howard, a uh, historically black university, and HBCU, uh, and to look at, you know, founded back in 1867 in Washington, D.C., just what that means to you, you know, to, to have Howard and to have uh, the, the connection to HBCU and, and obviously what we've seen in the last year and a half, unfortunately, is kind of uh, the reality that we have a long way to go in inequality and, and open discussions about everybody being on a level playing field, so to speak. So to have Howard joining this conference in some way, just uh, what that means to you to have their representation there now.
1: Yeah, the the NEC uh, we adopted a new strategic plan. Gosh, two years ago, June, um, and and within that plan was an entire new focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and that was you know, before most of the the national issues crept up and in, into into the forefront, right, with George Floyd and, and other, uh, other instances of racial you know, uh, inequality and, and uh, discrimination. And, and, and so when Howard came to us, it was a perfect fit because we, we had already focused on um, being more dedicated and, and more um, focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, not only did we want to give Howard an opportunity to have all six of their sports under one umbrella, but certainly it provides the NEC an opportunity to create that relationship with an HBCU and to create the relationships between student-athletes, between coaches, um, and hopefully open a pipeline for those student-athletes or others at Howard um, to, to add, have access to different jobs across the NEC um, and vice versa. So, you know, we saw it as a win-win both for Howard and the NEC. So as you said, it, it was, it is certainly connected to our desire to be more focused on providing our student athletes with exposure, access and education around the HBCUs. And the fact that's in Washington DC, I mean, if you haven't been to the African American Museum there. You know, that, those are perfect opportunities for the educational experiences that you can connect with the athletic travels and, and you know, to have teams go into DC to play Howard and, and utilize that opportunity would be fantastic
0: speaking here with Noreen Morris the commissioner of the NEC Northeast Conference and you said the strategic plan you had started ahead of time ahead of you know things that had unfortunately gone on in this country what made you get ahead of the game why as the leader of the NEC did you want to really look into a strategic plan that was going to you know do all the things that you had spoken about as as we look to move forward as a society you know uh, looking at conference-wide commitment to diversity equity and inclusion uh, getting getting ahead of you know kind of the the unfortunate circumstances that have happened just why you wanted to focus there and and why you know at the time that you did create the strategic plan why you felt like it was the right time to do it
1: I think there was a confluence of a, no- a number of things um, one is we have, Significant diversity amongst our leadership. Um, we have two presidents um, of color. We have uh, two well, two previously two ads of color. Um, so, so there, there's certainly there's a, a focus or. A, you know uh, understanding that we need to do more. Uh, I, I think also part of it is based on some of the national work that I've been doing. So for the past seven or so years, I've been the co-chair of the NCA Gender Equity Task Force, and and that's a inter association wide committee, so it's divisions one, two, and three. There's, I think, 11 people on the committee. And and with that, I've had access to a lot of presentations, a lot of data, certainly around gender equity. But then we, we do some work with um, the MOIC, which is the Minority Opportunities Interest Committee at the NSA, as well as CWA, the Committee on Women's Athletics. And, and, and as you hear more and more of the data, it's so clear that we we needed to be better, and so our first focus was on gender equity. And I worked with um, four or five of the other conferences in our region and said, "Hey, let's create some educational opportunities for the younger coaches, um, our women coaches, uh, for professional development because you know not all of them have budgets at their institutions to allow." assisting coaches or the younger head coaches to go to some of the national conventions Um, and so we created an educational forum within our region so it was the patriot in the first year patriot mac america east and the nec we all combined together and created a one-day event for our young female coaches and and it was great we came up with the topics we um Put together speakers. Each one of us was tasked with bringing a speaker from our league that could talk to that particular topic. Uh, It was a it was a smash and success. We've done it three more times. We had a fourth time on the books, which was um, canceled due to a winter storm, and then canceled then to COVID. But. It's been fantastic. And so once we started into that mode with the NEC and then we said, listen, we need to do more around diversity. We, we don't have enough um, coaches and administrators of color and we need to create an opportunity for the, the coaches and administrators to, to mirror the student athlete population, especially in the sports where we have you know, more black and brown student athletes. So you look at men's and women's basketball, track and field, football that uh, we, we need to do better so that's where we started to really focus on that and then when we worked on our strategic plan we thought well do you do you incorporate the diversity equity inclusion in each one of our goals or does it need to be a separate distinct goal to show how uh, dedicated and committed we are to that area And so we we finalized that one of our four strategic plan goals is specific around diversity equity and inclusion so it's so like kind of a long answer to your question but there was a lot of moving parts to get us to where we were
0: Yeah, and one of the things uh, with the conference is uh, the change in the governance structure with the elevation of the senior women administrators into more and more enhanced uh, leadership roles just what you could say about that in uh, empowering women within the conference as well and kind of going off of some of the things you had said Yeah,
1: when I first arrived uh, at the NEC and then I made my rounds, you know, like any new commissioner you want to go out on the campus and meet everybody and and talk with them and, you know, get to know people and get to know how they operate on campus and strengths and weaknesses. And and it was abundantly clear to me at that point in time that the the group of senior women administrators that the NEC had at the time were very talented. Um, Many of them had been in their jobs for a number of years and just had a lot to offer but the role they played within the governance structure didn't really allow them a seat at the table for the bigger conversations and the dialogue around national issues regional issues that truthfully you you need access to that information if you want to end up in a an ad chair commissioner chair in the future so i I was the benefit of the big 10 and their governance structure where the swas were a critical piece Of their government structure and i was in a meeting side by side with mark murphy who was the ad for my first um eight years or so and then not eight, sorry three three or four years and then jim phillips um, who followed mark so i had the benefit of hearing the dialogue of the of the ad's and the and the commissioner and the and you know the other big ten staff so when i when i came to the nec and i saw that we, we could mimic what the Big Ten did and, and provide the Senior Women Administrators a more productive seat at the table. Not only for them to learn and absorb, but to actually to contribute and use their voice. So it, it, I think it's turned out really well, and um, it, we're better for it, right, because we're hearing more perspectives um in our meetings uh and then the ad and swa have to work together to figure out when we vote it's one instant you know you get one vote for the institution so they have to figure out amongst themselves how they come to that vote and which it really requires them to to create that working relationship that may not have existed as fully before we went to this new governance structure so i think it's it's been a a win-win for for this for the SWAs as well as for our league because I think we're just better prepared and and the dialogue is much more robust than maybe we had before.
0: Speaking here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios with Northeast Conference Commissioner Noreen Morris here with us. And and Noreen, uh, you just mentioned Jim Phillips, uh, that you crossed paths with him for a couple of years at Northwestern, where he served as the the Athletics Director. Uh, Now he is the Commissioner of the ACC. Uh, I just got to be around him at uh, ACC kickoff. What can you say about Jim Phillips and his leadership and, and maybe some notes about him in your path?
1: Yeah, Jim's tremendous. Um, he he's going to do great things at the ACC. His work at Northwestern—if you look at what he did for that campus and for the athletics department, um, the how he enhanced the. The facilities. I mean, I, I went back on a tour. and I was, I was flabbergasted. It was this it was, was a new, a new north Northwestern campus with all their athletic facilities. But you know, having it, the coaches he has, um, with Pat Fitzgerald uh, as as the football coach and the ten year deal he was able to manage with with that and and the other coaches he's hired. Um, the energy he brings, the vision, um, and, you know, if, if you said you just met Jim, if you had a chance to talk to him, like, he, you, when you talk to him, he's talking to you and nothing else matters at that moment, right? He's really uh, engaged and the, his memory for, for people and details about people um, and his ability to connect and continue to connect, like, he's been my biggest supporter since I left... Northwestern and he checks in all the time and when he sees news about the NEC he'll text me and be like, you're doing great work, keep it up. So he's just he's really engaged and I think his time not only with with the Big Ten um, but when he chaired the NCAA Council, he was the first um, chair in the new version of the NCAA structure Um, and did a tremendous job of bringing people together and moving us forward uh in a time that was you know a little uneasy now of course we're we're entering that time again so uh we'll see how that plays out but um but he's been he's great and i i i know he'll do great things and he's already contributed tremendously on our um, commissioner calls so you can see he's, he's very measured, um, and uh, he's a good thought person, right? He, he wants to take everything in, and, and when he speaks, it's, uh, it's very thoughtful and um, very forward-thinking.
0: Noreen, you, you've worked in a bunch of different conferences. How do you make that jump to a commissioner? What can you say about that, that evolution from going to being a piece of a university to overseeing an entire conference.
1: Yeah, I had the like you said, I had the benefit of, of working um, at a couple different conferences, and you know, I started at, at UConn um, and and worked for Lou Perkins and Jeff Hathaway, um, and when Mike Trangisi was the commissioner there. Then I went and worked at Conference USA with Mike Slive. Uh, for eight years with Mike and another couple years with Putin Um and then again Northwestern, my, the second school I worked for with Mark Murphy and, and Jim Phillips and, and what I can tell you is that I think I'm a better commissioner for having had the time on campus because I understand the perspective of everyone on campus um, I grew up in compliance and so I understand the ins and outs of, of the rules and and the importance of of having a structure in place um and in a commissioner role it's very much oriented around governance national issues regional issues but i but i think the ability to connect with people on campus there are they're more trusting of you from the start because they they know that you've been in their seat. Um, But at the same time, I also understand having been at different levels uh, in different parts of the country that everybody has their own perspective. So when you leave a campus and you go to a conference, you have to understand that you're building consensus with 10 institutions that are in different parts of the country. We have schools in seven different states We have different missions. We've got some that are, you know, the school is is very much driven to help um, first-generation um, college students. To, you know, other schools, their mission might be, you know, different in terms of attracting, you know, the best business folks or best STEM or whatever you might have. So, you know, building consensus is difficult enough for the issues that we're dealing with currently but then you've got you just have to understand that everyone comes to this table with them perspective and then finding where were the commonalities focusing on what you have in common as opposed to you know what makes you different and that helps in building consensus and that we we tried to do that at the national level as well but that gets a little more difficult when you there's just the disparities between the top and the bottom of division one are a lot greater than the disparities between the top and the bottom of the NEC.
0: You know, and, and when we when we look at this, like you uh, had alluded to a few minutes ago, the the air of uncertainty, the the change, uh, being the commissioner of the Northeast Conference, uh, here speaking with Noreen Morris on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, we appreciate y'all being here for this, to... To look at the uncertainty, you know, the Big 12 really out of out of nowhere uh, to some people, uh, Oklahoma and Texas making the decision to jump ship and to go to the SEC, which would give the SEC 16 teams, uh, puts the Big 12 in peril. They have ten already, and so the the name obviously it didn't make sense for the membership. Just like the Big Ten having fourteen at this point, there's there's been a lot of change, and with the Big Twelve having eight now, the thought that the ACC, the Pac Twelve, the American, the Big Ten could all benefit from the the dissolving of the Big 12 how do you look at that from afar in the northeast conference uh, do you feel the rumbles do you feel the the earthquake kind of happening because as things happen in collegiate athletics even if it's not your members i can imagine that you know everybody's watching it with a close eye especially the commissioners because you know there's there's you know a little bit over 30 in the in the nation and that's it so how how do you assess it and how much attention do you pay to uh, uh, the rumblings, so to speak.
1: You know, with with conference realignment, um, anytime there's any movement, whether it's seismic in nature like this, or even just a small movement, you you do have to always be thinking about your membership, right? So we're ten strong right now in the NEC. We're a great group. We're working together. Everyone's enjoying their alignment with this nec family um but but always know that everyone um all your institutions are going to look for the place that best fits their mission um and so something like this with the big with the sec and taking the two from the from the big 12 they'll be trickle down right how big a trickle down will will the big 12 look to expand and and stabilize itself with with bringing in members from other leagues, and then then there's the trickle down. So then that league is looking for new members, and and so on. And and so when you looked at the last go around of realignment, when the Big Ten reached out to Nebraska, and if you follow the bouncing ball, and there was a lot of people like keeping charts and showing how much change. And in the end, every conference, I think, with the exception of the MIAC, swack and ivy were impacted by that round of realignment and of course things have changed recently with changes to MIAC and SWAC. i think ivy is the only one that's going to be safe and it's probably just sitting back and watching <laughs> all, all the chaos um but yeah i, I would imagine there's going to be trickle down uh how far that goes in this round of realignment is to be seen but like What happened in the the first go around I think people felt if we're not moving we're forward or I'm going to say forward, if we're not moving to to a different conference, we're moving backwards, like there was this mindset like oh, this is the time where if you're not moving, it you look like you're not an appealing, you know, school or, so I I hope we don't get to that point Um, but at this, you know, at this point, I I don't know how it'll play out, I wish I had a a crystal ball, um, but th- there's so many different iterations this could take on. Like you said, it could be Big 12 expanding. It could be others trying to raid the Big 12. Um, it, it's it'll be yeah. N- like there wasn't already enough unknown between COVID and the continued issues around COVID and the NIL. And uh, congressional action and the gender equity report coming from the Kaplan um, review for the NCAA. I and mean, there's just so much happening right now that add on, uh, you know, monumental conference realignment. Just yeah. <laughs> just add to the list of things that, that we're all trying to manage.
0: And, and that's exactly... You know, what was on my mind is is as a commissioner, you have to deal with the day-to-day of making sure your institutions that are your every, you know, every peaceful members are happy, your associate members are happy, that you are, you know, kind of keeping an eye out for expansion and evolution if if that's, you know, something that you want to do. So your day-to-day is to take care of your current members, look to the future, and at the same time, you know, make sure the student-athletes are being treated right, the institutions are following what they need to, everybody's under- NCAA compliance and then like you said taking all of that which is in and of itself more than enough I'm sure you can speak to and and adding in the name image and likeness which really is the wild wild west right now and there's no consensus ruling and uh, a lot of kind of open some states have approved it many states have not and there's this deregulation of the NCAA kind of just you know saying at this point point. Uh, Let's, let's just let everybody do it, whether or not your state's approved it for now. And so with that going on, on top of that, and realignment and COVID, and like you said, uh, gender equity and, you know, equality and and everything, I, I can, I can imagine that for you, you have no uh, no lack of of uh, you know uh, something to keep you busy, but this is all on top of your normal day to day. So, as a commissioner, how do you function day to day with all of this additional pressure and information and changing information, where there's uh, seemingly, at least from my perspective, more questions than answers at this point? Yeah, my
1: um, my theme or my motto all through. COVID um, was planning for the unknown is exhausting. So <laughs> we just get more and more exhausted, apparently, because like, mm-hmm. there's more and more unknowns. Um, but but uh, in all seriousness, I I think you just spend a lot of time trying to think through kind of the different iterations, um, lots of communication with your membership, your ads, SWAs, presidents. Um, just getting a sense of you know what's most important to them, and uh, understanding you know when is it that you sit back and, and just continue to ev- evaluate, and when is it that you kind of be proactive and and, and move forward on certain items. So, like giving you example of um, we added Merrimack uh, three three years ago now as a D Division two. Uh, Reclassifying to Division One, and we'd had a number of conversations with them over time, and at a certain point, we realized, okay, now is the time. They've they've positioned themselves to make the move from Division Two to Division One, and in fact, they've been quite successful in a number of sports in their first couple of years in competition. And so, you know, it's kind of one of those you for at least for the membership as you look when when is the move a win win. For both parties, the value add—you know, bringing Merrimack in—they brought the Boston market. They brought twenty, one of the twenty-three sports that we uh, had sponsored at that time. Um, Yeah, and just the the uh, their success in in a number of those sports. So that that's been a, a great move. And so that that's one of those things where you just have to continually have conversations offline. But um, as a group, you know, where are we? What's for the best of the conference? And then from a national perspective, just trying to continue to track and, and I see my job as educating um, our membership. So we had twice a week conference calls through most of COVID with our, with our ADs and SWAs. I had a monthly call with the presidents and that's up from uh, two meetings a year with presidents and once a month, typically meetings with ADs and SWAs. So the line of communication was open consistently and we I just con- continually updated on what's happening with whether it was COVID or now NIL um, and now with the NCAA governance structure and, and the review will happen there. It's just constant updating so that everyone's in the know so that when we have we have to make some decisions, we're not starting from ground zero and trying to get to 60 you know, 60 miles an hour in, in one meeting that you've said, okay, we've had all these conversations, you know where this topic is at this moment, here's where I suggest we move forward, all right, and then they will weigh in and and determine whether or not the suggesting coming out of the NEC is, is the way to go, and I've got a fantastic staff, so that's the other piece that has been extremely helpful throughout this period. I've uh, you know, the, in terms of attrition, my staff I have the lowest um, ranking and seniority is I think six years. So I've had six people, or this one person, six years. Everyone else has been there six plus years, up to twenty four years. Obviously, I wasn't around twenty four years ago, but that shows you the level of um, individual that I have with me in terms of their knowledge base and their understanding of the NEC. So during COVID, I, there was so much behind the scenes that you know, we created the framework and my staff was able to manage the devil in the detail of the framework. And then I could continue to, to look at the, the bigger picture and determine what our next steps would be. So to have a, a knowledgeable, committed, talented staff behind me is, was critical to the success in the last 16 months.
0: Coming from Noreen Morris, the commissioner of the NEC Northeast Conference here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Eleven years as the commissioner of the NEC, what have you taken away most? What have you learned most from being a commissioner at this point when you go back and reflect? What are those things that you can honestly say, you know what, if not for coming here, if not for leading this conference, I wouldn't have this in my toolbox?
1: That's a great question. Um, probably learned most that uh, the relationship building is, is, is a key to success. I mean, for any job, but really for this commissioner job, as you mentioned, there's so many different constituencies, all of which are you know, at a distance. And so building the relationships, um, getting to know people so that when the tough conversations happen, People aren't taking them personally, you know, and that—that's another thing I've learned is you can't take anything personally. You—you you build, you build the foundation. You have the conversations, and if if the league ultimately doesn't come out in the way you thought it should be, that's okay, right? You've given them all the information. They've chosen to take a different direction. So you know, not taking it personally—it's business. But understanding that you've developed the relationship so that you can have the more difficult conversations and sometimes difficult boats where not everybody gets what they want. Um, But as I mentioned, I think the first thing on this interview is the people in this league are so tremendous that it really does make working at the NEC um, so enjoyable and rewarding. So what I've learned is if you find a place that you really enjoy working and you continue to grow with the job, and there's, you're continually challenged, um, that's a perfect combination, right? Great people with continued, challenging, you know, thought-provoking issues to deal with that, um, you know, I enjoy coming to work every day, so I don't know if that's answering your question entirely, but that's... Uh, what i would learned is I really enjoy working with this group of people um, and continue to be challenged and hope that I'll be here for a number of years to come.
0: And, and to go off of that, what, what invigorates you? What makes you wake up in the morning after 11 years of being the commissioner and you're still, like you said, you love what you do? Why continue to do it when you have those tough days when you have those days where you know a cup of coffee just isn't doing it and you're going over something in your head over and over again and it's not making sense or maybe there's a there's a stalemate with certain things going on with the conference or you know in, in the world we live in today where there's so much confusion with a lot of the topics that we've discussed this morning what keeps you at it in those moments where it would be easy to give up
1: yeah. You know, i uh, bring it to the group that I've spoken least about, but which is most important is the student-athletes. I mean, we've talked a lot about governance and all the challenges around the national landscape and conference realignment, but in the end, you know, our job in college athletics is to provide a forum for student-athletes to, to have that experience. Um, you know, learning about leadership and adversity and goal setting. And, and I was a student athlete. I, I played um, soccer at Cornell. And and those that experience was so critical to my growth as a person, more so than as an athlete. And so I always have to kind of focus in on that, which is what we're doing is, is to provide student athletes that opportunity. And when I well, I'm not with the student athletes every day. Um, I do have an opportunity to meet many of them, whether it's our in-person student athlete advisory committee meeting, which unfortunately we missed last year and hope to hope to do this year. But we did monthly zooms with our student athlete advisory committee, which is at least two members from each of our schools. So, and I've gotten to know a number of our student athletes over time, and that that really is that's what's invigorating. You know that we that I know that each and every day we're Providing them with that experience and that memory that really does create lifelong friendships, more so than you know some of my teammates. Um, I'm, I'm more, you know, better friends with and than, than non-teammates, and in, in a way, just because of the that shared experience. So it really is about the student
0: athletes. What's the most difficult part of the job for you after these eleven years?
1: probably dealing with the issues that impact this league but you don't have a lot of control over the outcome so things like conference realignment things like name image and likeness where you know that was a train that left the station and it was just a matter of when and how would it be any ncaa rule or congressional rule or state rule. so just trying to manage issues that are part of college athletics but that you don't have a lot of control over the outcome so you just have to prepare prepare your league and try to position them to manage the change in a way that is least intrusive um, but but you're taking advantage of the opportunity as best possible so i'll give nil as an example we're not going to have a lot of student athletes making Eight hundred thousand dollars like you read about in some of the other conferences but we certainly do have student-athletes who um will be entrep- entrepreneurial in nature um who can go out and, and and do some things around the name image and likeness that they couldn't have done before and we haven't announced it yet but we're putting the final touches on on partnering with one company to provide education and and some resources to our student-athletes conference-wide. So, you know, I see that as an opportunity to to help, even though we, we didn't have um, much say in how, they, how we ended up where we are, we're going to do our best to take advantage of the opportunity.
0: Yeah, you know, and I, and I think that that's a huge thing, like you said, not much say going into it, but once it's there, um, you know, controlling the controllables of what, you can do instead of focusing on the things that, you know, you you weren't a part of or weren't privy to or whatever that may be. I think we spend a lot of time focusing on what's out of our control, not what's in it. So before I let you go, speaking here with Noreen Morris, uh, the NEC commissioner. uh, Noreen, as, as you go forward here and look at everything that's kind of on the horizon for collegiate athletics, is there any way to keep the... Nostalgic model. Is there any way to keep the purity of the sport? Where are we heading? Is it is it a danger zone? Are we are we at the precipice of something great? Are we at the precipice of something that could be the demise of of what we know? Where are we in collegiate athletics? Hmm,
1: that's the sixty four thousand or I should say million dollar question. Um, yeah, we're at a pivotal moment and. I would like to say that we will be able to find a way where the division one athletes um can continue to get that experience and that it just might be a different perspective for for potentially you know the power five conferences there was already um a disparity huge disparity you know between the schools that had the big budgets Whether it's personnel, salaries Recruiting, facilities You already saw a disparity Between the top and the bottom The NIL just kind of shines a light on it a little more um, So, you know, will there be A seismic change to athletics at, at, at the NCAA Where you, you know, some surmise That there might be a break off Like the Big Five and go do their own thing Or football, like the Night Commission Saying football should be governed by a separate entity um you know those things could all happen or we could figure out a way to continue to manage and and keep our sports under one what we call one big tent right the nc division one so i don't know like it it, i wish i again wish i had a crystal ball to tell you (laughs) where we're going to end up um I think wherever we end up, I think you will find schools like ours at the NEC will cont- be able to continue to find ways, uh, whether it's a part of a bigger organization, to provide the same experience that we're providing now. And I'm hoping it's in the same general foundation that we have now with some tweaks. But I, don't, I wish I knew. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're living in a world of many unknowns right now. Uh, you mentioned Cornell. And, you know, being a a native of Central and Upstate New York, I'd like to go back there for a second. The fact that you uh, played at Cornell, and and like you said, I got to play soccer, a two-year co-captain and a four-year letter winner for the Big Red. Just what you can say about uh, your time at Cornell a little bit deeper as a student and as an athlete.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, soccer was such a big part of my experience at Cornell. It, um, you know... I thought it was a big school Coming from the East Coast I grew up in New Jersey It was 12,000 students Undergraduate And for the East Coast That's a pretty big school Now I go to the Midwest And I start working In the Big Ten I'm like, oh my God Mm -hmm. (laughs) These, these like, 55,000 60,000 schools But but the soccer Definitely gives you A a sense of family right away Um, And, uh, you know In time management at, At Cornell Like, I wasn't it wasn't the uh, you know the valedictorian by any means in my in my high school. So I worked really hard at Cornell, and you have to learn how to to function amongst people who maybe are more knowledgeable than you. But but you find your niche and you find your strength, and I think that built up my strengths around um, without me even realizing it. Relationship building, communication, um, and and leading as as a as the captain and i just had a conversation with uh, one of my teammates he's like hey, it was so clear back then that you were a relationship builder and that you brought people together and i like look back and like i don't i don't really see that <laughs> i mean i'll remember that but but you know after talking with people and understanding you know how i grew and developed it really was um, instrumental in, in where i am now and um uh, you know, it was the first recruited class at Cornell, so they had just added the the sport as a varsity sport the year before, and it's really really cool to see now that most of our the, the people in my class are a couple of years below. We're a bit older now. We're we're really we've got some tremendously successful women um, from from those first couple of years, and and we're getting quite strong and building a a, an alum base and and it's it's really exciting to see us kind of put our mark on a program that we helped start 30 plus years ago so um we're paying it forward i hope uh for the next generation um of athletes at cornell so it's just it's been really fun just to reconnect with my teammates who like i said are tremendously successful uh, in their careers and uh and and to give back and and to reminisce and go back and be like <laughs> make believe we're back in college, which can be dangerous at times, but but it's been great. So, I mean, just being an athlete is I, I don't see how I'd be where I am now having not had that experience.
0: That coming from Noreen Morris here with us, the NEC Commissioner, Northeast Conference on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside the Cafe Kubal Studios. Uh, two final pieces. Uh, one is going to allow you to flip the script on me and, and get to ask a, a couple questions in a thing called Rapid Fire because you've been so great in answering mine. But the final one that I have for you is: What can you tell us about what's on the horizon for the NEC? I know there's a lot of unknowns overall with collegiate athletics, but what are you currently working on? What can you tell us about? the future of the northeast
1: mm, you know we'll we just um we're about a couple of years into our second strategic plan which as i mentioned focuses um quite a bit on diversity equity, and inclusion but we're also uh, the other three goals are brand awareness uh Commitment to basketball since it is our primary or priority sport as well as the student-athlete experience So I think you'll see us continue to to be a big player in the diversity equity inclusion space. We've we did um, significant amount of work and with diversity the champions champions for change programming, which we interviewed student-athletes coaches about their experiences around um, diversity We um, have done a lot on on game days with um, Black Lives Matter around, um, we've done the, um, I'm forgetting the name now, this is terrible, um, where we do uh, recognize the different months celebrating um, Heritage Months. So um, you know, I think we've, we've just I think become a leader in that space. So I think you can see us doing more there. And then, like I said earlier, always looking at membership and and whether or not you know is it time for us to think about expanding or not? You know, what what's the best time and is there a good fit um, value add for both sides? So I think those are probably two of the the biggest focuses that we have. And then just keeping our 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 um, Institutions moving forward, I I will say that I'm really proud of the NEC and that you've seen a lot of schools dropping sports in the last year or so as a way to either respond to Title IX issues and or financial issues. But in the NEC, we've added 15 different teams across our 10 campuses in the last two to three years, eight on the women's side and seven on the men's side. And with that, we'll actually be adding to our nec sports sponsorship so we'll have six nec men's volleyball teams starting in 22 23. we have um five that now play women's water polo so we're looking to see if we should sponsor that so you'll see the nec in in a growth uh pattern relative to providing our athletes with some experiences they hadn't had before so I think that's really telling for the, for the NEC and that we're just, you know, we're not looking to, to constrict, we're actually expanding and, and trying to utilize athletics as a way to support the campus. So I'm, I'm really excited about that.
0: Uh, coming from Noreen Morris. Noreen, final piece here. It's called Rapid Fire. It allows you to flip the script. Like I said, you've been great about answering uh, very thoroughly these these pertinent questions and uh, very important things on the minds of people all over the country and uh, definitely in connection with the NEC. So I appreciate that very much here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside the Cafe Kubal Studio. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to be the interviewer for a second here. Uh, two questions. Okay. Anything you want. Could be sports. Could be life could be light could be deep whatever you want it to be but uh, you can ask me any two questions in the world and I have to answer them so uh, have it have at it I'm on the hot seat now
1: all right then Uh, my first question what is the best quote you've heard recently from a commissioner in any one of your commissioner interviews
0: oh man the best quote I've heard from a commissioner (sighs) that's tough I would have to say I spent a lot of time with Mike Oresco of The American, and, and I would tell you that nobody was affected more from realignment in the early 2010s than him. Uh, the Big East took the name. Uh, he was left with three teams and Temple coming in. He could have easily laid down and just let it all go because there was only four schools. There was no name. There was no logo. And uh, back in 2012, uh, him and I had a conversation, and now almost a decade later, uh, he has kind of come full circle. So I would say a lot of our conversations have uh, developed into really special things. I don't know if there's one quote, but I, I guess I guess it's something that, that I said to him that him and I have spoken about. And I said, because when I was starting my company, I have to work with ESPN and Fox and Yahoo affiliates and all that. When I started my company now a little over nine years ago, I said to him, I'm starting my company, you're starting a new conference. We're both redheaded stepchildren. Really? And and I, I put my arm around him and I said, And we're gonna walk with each other through this and we're gonna we're gonna, you know, be by each other's side and we're gonna see each other succeed. And he uh, the way that he comes across, and you know, just kind of his his power six movement and the things that he's tried to do, uh, I don't know if there's one quote. I think it's more of a universal. I've never seen him quit. Uh, he doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care um, how, how uh, the conference uh, was viewed. He always defends it and stands up for it. He has you know the information to back him up. And I think if anybody could have quit it could have been Mike and he didn't. So I just I, I have all the respect in the world for him and for his knowledge and his wisdom and being a commissioner being on the other side in CBS and whatnot. And I just, I, I hope to see him succeed. And it's funny how things are kind of coming full circle. But there's, there's something to be said about people who, uh, in, my, in my opinion, uh, do things the right way. And you want to see those people succeed. And it, it might take a little bit longer, but uh, Mike's in a special place right now. And, and I hope that, uh, that there's some positivity that shines down on that.
1: Right. Yeah, he's a good man. He's he definitely. Certainly, been challenged over over the years. All right. So, so I noticed that your phone uh, number it starts with a three one five. So I'm assuming you're you live up near Syracuse.
0: Yes. Yep. I do. All
1: right. So um, best best uh, place to eat in Syracuse.
0: Well, Syracuse is my hometown, and I uh, came back up here to start my company. I would tell you that I work with a bunch of uh, great restaurants, a lot of local places, and so uh, I think the best thing for me to do to not get in trouble is to, <laughs> is to tell you uh, great things at each one. Uh, Avicoli's, it's the veal parmesan, I talked about it so, nobody knows how to make veal, and I talked about it so much. That uh, at one point, they said... They're like, I don't know what it is. It was like the beginning of Corona. They're like, we've sold more veal than we've ever sold in a calendar month. And I was (laughs) like, well, I'm going to take 5% credit because I've mentioned it 47 times on the show. But, um, so I would say the veal there. uh, At the Wildcat, I would say the chicken Caesar wrap and the comma fries. These are like hooked fries with salt and pepper on them that are really good. I would say, hmm, at the Mill House. I would have to say their breakfast pizza and well, everything's good at the millhouse so but I'll, right. I'll say the breakfast pizza for them and the cob salad and then who am I missing here I want to make sure I hit everybody um I I would have oh a mother's cupboard I I'll tell you that up north nobody knows how to make chicken and waffles and so we designed our own at mother's cupboard which is like known all across the country and out of this country as well and and we got to design chicken and waffles our way uh did an interesting coating uh made a sauce for it so and and that's actually my special that's on the menu uh the dt special so i'm excited about that Uh, pizza man it's the lemon pepper wings and uh, PB and J's lunchbox—it's the grilled peanut butter and jelly with pecans and Ma and Paz kettle corn. I don't know; it's like all of their kettle corn, but their caramel's really good. And and yeah, so I would say there's there's a lot of things at a lot of places, but the one thing I know about Syracuse is you know being uh, part Italian. I can tell you that if you're Italian and or if you appreciate italian food like most people do uh new york city gets so much credit but syracuse central and upstate new york chicken riggies utica greens we we hold our own in such a unique way (laughs) that i would tell people if you love food and most people i think need to eat to stay alive you should come to Uh syracuse i would say
1: yeah, all right. Well, um, Hobart is up near Syracuse, so next time I come through for a lacrosse game, I'll have to try to check out some of those, for sure.
0: Absolutely, and uh, the Northeast Conference, uh, definitely having uh, Noreen Morris here, our Commissioner of the Conference, 11 years going on 12. Uh, thank you, Noreen, for being a part of Wake Up Call here in the Cafe Kubal Studios and I would love to kind of repay the favor and if there is an event I could do within the NEC to come out and, you know, be a part, you know, for the media to cover something, I would love the opportunity to uh, meet you face to face as well as really get to, to see what you do firsthand. So uh, I would love that and I'd love to have you back on the show as well.
1: Great, I'd love it, and uh, we'll, I'll take you up on that offer. And we'll uh, once we once we get back in person, which I hope is sooner rather than later, uh, be sure to put you on that invite list. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely, thank you, Noreen, and I appreciate it. And I'll talk with you soon. You got it.
1: Okay, bye bye.